All right. We want to welcome everyone, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're watching online. So good to have you with us. And also want to take a moment, as I do every week, and look into the camera and say a big hello to all the men and women joining us in our correctional ministry, whether you're right here at CCNO, the Correction Center in Northwest Ohio, or in one of the 400 prisons throughout our country, or maybe even in the country of Belize, in the Belize Central Prison. Man, we love you. We believe in you. We're honored to have you a part of this church. Come on, D-Town. Let me welcome our church family today. So good. Well, we are in our fifth and final week of our Ten Commandments series where we are studying the Ten Commandments. And if you haven't had a chance to be here with us throughout this series, uh, we're not studying the commandments maybe in a way that you might think, because I don't believe that God was just giving us this list of rules to follow or a bunch of do's or, or don'ts, but instead behind each commandment was a principle that God was giving to us to deepen our relationship with him and to deepen our relationships with one another. Now, the Ten Commandments are the beginning of God's law, and, and I just want to continue to remind us that, that God's laws are not the same as man's laws. In fact, each week in this series, we've been having a good time uh, talking and hearing about some ridiculous state laws that are still in effect in our country, and this week is no different. I brought some more in the arsenal to remind us that God's laws are better than man's laws. Y'all ready to go? So in Wyoming, it's illegal to buy scrap metal, glass, or paper from someone who's intoxicated. I feel like that's a good thing, but the question is, how did we get there? Was there just like a bunch of intoxicated people selling scrap metal? I don't know what's going on in Wyoming. In Missouri, it's illegal to wrestle a bear. So now if you survive that wrestling match with the broken bones and scrapes, then you get a felony. So I don't know what's happening in Missouri. Apparently there's no more bear hugs in misery. Uh, in Oregon, it's illegal to go hunting in a cemetery. We got enough dead things here. We don't need any more. You know, some people take flowers to a cemetery, but uh, people in Oregon, they bring guns. I'm just saying. In Vermont, it's illegal for women to wear fake teeth without their husband's permission. We got too many wives running around here wearing fake teeth and not telling anyone in Vermont. And fellas, if you're, if you're on a dating app and they are from Vermont, I just scroll on past that. Don't even, just move on. Women don't have any teeth mirroring at people out there in Vermont. But then my favorite one of the day, we'll end with this, and that is in New Mexico, Idiots are banned from voting. Come on. Yes. New Mexico's doing something right. I'm just saying, because according to Article 7, Section 1 of the Constitution of New Mexico, every citizen of the United States who is over the age of 21 and has resided in New Mexico 12 months, in the county 90 days, and in the precinct in which the person offers to vote, except for idiots, shall be qualified to vote at all elections for public officers. So I, I think we need to adopt that, that law here in Ohio. Anybody else? I don't think they could I don't think they could adopt it in Michigan no one would be able to vote you know what I'm saying so <laughs> Woo! love y'all from Michigan just joking not really right not really 
Come on, how many know God's laws are not the same as man's laws? Come on, God's laws are better than man's laws. And as we've been studying these 10 commandments, Hopefully, we've been able to see the commandments from a different lens, a different perspective. And, and don't get me wrong, the, these 10 laws, the t- these 10 commandments are for a civilized society, but there's this, this principle behind each commandment that's important for us to understand. And I think the truth is, we've all missed the mark in some way, shape, or form as to living out these principles. We, we, we've all broken the Ten Commandments, and I think God would just remind us today that he didn't give us the Ten Commandments for us to follow in order to make him happy. He gave us the Ten Commandments for us to follow in order for us to be happy, that we would live a happy, fulfilled life. How many of they are gifts and a roadmap and a guidance for us to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give each and every one of us. And just to remind us, these 10 commandments are really broken into two sections. Their first four uh, commandments are what we would call God-centered, dealing with our relationship with God. And then the last six would be what we would call people-centered, dealing with our relationships with one another. And if we follow these, we can have a deeper relationship with God and with each other. But how many of us know they all work together? They all go together, and so we've been, we've been uh, studying two commandments each week in this five-week series, and uh, today's no different. We're offering a two-for-one special, two commandments for the price of one long, amazing message today, and so we're going to study the ninth and tenth commandment, so let's jump into it, starting with the ninth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. It says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Other versions would say you must not bear a false witness against your neighbor. And a lot of times we'll shorten this commandment to thou shalt not lie. And now that's part of it, but how many of us know that's not all of it? There's, there's more to it than that. And you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Well, it's important for us to know who our neighbor is. That our neighbor is not just a person or a family that lives next door to us. Our neighbor is actually anyone that we come across or encounter. If you remember, there was a time in the New Testament when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he added, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To which the follow-up question was, well, then who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus went on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan man that was kind of despised and hated uh, because of, of their heritage and their background. And the Samaritan man comes across a man who had been robbed and beaten and left for dead. He'd never met him before. He did not know him. Yet the good Samaritan took care of him and made sure that he would be restored and taken care of. And Jesus says, that's your neighbor. Anyone that you come into contact with. And so, so you must not uh, falsely testify about your neighbor. Now, to testify simply means what we say about others. And so when it comes to this commandment, we have to be careful about what comes out of our mouths. And so I want to remind us of a beautiful passage of Scripture, one of the first passages of Scripture that I memorized when I first became a Christian 22, three years ago, and that is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I would highly recommend all of us to memorize this passage of Scripture, and parents, this is a great verse for our kids to memorize as well. Not only is it challenging, it's full of truth. And it'll bring life to our lives. It says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. 
This is important for us to grab a hold of because I think sometimes when it comes to testifying falsely against our neighbor, I think sometimes uh, it's hard to, to apply that or follow that commandment, especially in, after what we're saying is true. Like, it's one thing to say something that's untrue about someone, but it's another thing that they did something, it's true, and I have a hard time not telling anybody. But here we come, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome, whether it's true, untrue, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So before we even get into lying or testifying falsely, a good question for us to start off with is are our words, the words that we say and the words maybe we type, are our words helpful? Are they benefiting those who listen? Are we building people up or are we tearing people down? Got kind of quiet in here, church, I'm just saying. You guys remember the, the movie A Few Good uh, Men with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson? Uh, I, you know, Tom Cruise is this, is this Navy lawyer and he's cross-examining Jack and he makes this famous statement in this movie, I want the truth. And Jack says, you can't handle the truth. But how many of us know the truth is the only thing we should be handling? Dealing and walking in truth. And, and I, this, I love this picture of a courtroom because when it comes to this ninth commandment to not testify falsely against your neighbor, uh, that's actually kind of what it's referring to. If you think back in biblical times, uh, how would they settle disputes or crimes uh, or disagreements? Like they didn't have forensic evidence back then. They didn't have fingerprints or DNA testing. They didn't have any videotapes of what happened. And so they relied heavily upon eyewitness accounts and their testimony that they would give of what they saw. So God's saying, don't testify falsely against your neighbor. Speaking of a courtroom setting, uh, if we would be the, maybe the, the key eyewitness in the case and we take the stand, maybe if we are asked 100 questions, if we answer 99 of those questions completely honest and truthful, but there's one question that maybe we leave some things out or we're not completely honest, the judge has the ability to throw out the entire testimony if we lie even one time. Because based on that one lie, they can no longer trust anything else we said. How many of us know our words matter? Now, most of us probably won't give a false testimony about someone in a courtroom, but we need to make sure we don't violate this principle behind this commandment, which is, if you're taking notes, it's the principle of truth. The principle of truth. You could put in parentheses, honesty. And, and I love what James says, James chapter 1, verse 26 he says, anyone who says he's a Christian but doesn't control his sharp tongue is just fooling himself, and his religion isn't worth much. Who's happy they came to church today so you could be encouraged, right? <laughs> I, I do hope you're encouraged today, but I also hope you're challenged. How many know we need to be challenged? Just as a coach would challenge a player to get better, God challenges his people to get better, and so sometimes I think we can be discredited by our actions, but other times our actions can be discredited by our words. Have you ever met someone who's done a lot of the right things? Like they just do a lot of right things. They, they pray, they have a strong prayer life, they know God's word, they're, they're faithful in their church and they, and they serve, but they just can't keep things to themselves that should be kept to themselves. Like they do all the right things, but they say a lot of the wrong things and it takes away from all the right things that they do. 
And this ninth commandment is this principle of truth. And so uh, real quickly, kind of, I want to give us three simple ways to help us walk in truth. So if you're taking notes, the first way that we can walk in truth is simply to be truthful with yourself. I mean, we, we tell some of the best lies to ourselves. And too often we believe our own lies. And when we lie to ourselves enough, we start to believe those lies to the point that it actually becomes true to us. Uh, a good, there's a good example of this I'll never forget about. And 20 years ago, I, I met a guy named Larry. And everybody called him Little Larry because he didn't like it. And they made fun of him. But, but Little Larry was uh, five feet, five inches. And he swore, I mean, he was dead serious that if he was only three inches taller, his entire life would have been completely different. If he was just three inches taller, he would have had such a better life. Now that might sound uh, ridiculous to some of us, but I wonder what kind of lies we tell ourselves that might sound ridiculous to somebody else. He was convinced of it, and unfortunately, being dishonest or untruthful with ourselves is more common than we think. Let me frame it like this. Have you ever met someone that no matter what happens, it's never their fault? Parents, if you're a parent of a teenager, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, they have an excuse for everything, and no matter how wrong they are, they'll just never admit it. Anybody ever met someone like that? How many of them? They're sitting close to you right now. I'm joking, but I mean, it's really hard to help that person. It's really hard for that person to make any progress in anything in life, whether it's their career, whether it's their relationships, because they just refuse to deal in truth. It's really hard to help someone who just refuses to deal in truth. Now, some of the reasons why we can struggle with uh, being truthful with ourselves is because of the pain of our past. Maybe we've been so wounded and so hurt and we've not experienced the healing that God has for us that we just can't seem to be truthful with ourselves because it's painful to face the truth. You know, I'll never forget God did a huge work in my life many years ago. I had a mentor speak into me and he said, one day he said, you know, you know who you remind me of? And I was like, well, like Brad Pitt or Sean McVay, Hawkeye. What do we, who do you think, man? Like, what are we doing with today? And he said... Eddie Haskell. That wasn't a joke. That wasn't a time to laugh, people. Now, if you're under 40, you might not know who Eddie Haskell is or was. I barely did because I'm, I'm a young pup. But there was a show way back in the day, black and white show called Leave It to Beaver, right? And the beaver was this young kid who had a neighbor friend, his neighbor kid named Eddie Haskell. And Eddie Haskell was always getting into trouble. He was always scheming. He was always conniving. He was always up to no good. But when he was at the beaver's house, whenever like uh, Leave It to Beaver's mom would walk in, he'd go, oh, hi, Mrs. Cleaver. Oh, oh, hi, Mr. Cleaver, he always put on this front, and I had a mentor of mine tell me one day, he goes, you're Eddie Haskell, and I left. I never saw that, that mentor again, ever. I go, you're an idiot, you know? No, I'm joking, and you can't vote in New Mexico. How about that? <laughs> he said, no, you're Eddie Haskell because you're one way one minute, and you're a different way another minute. You act one way around this crowd, and you act this way around that crowd, and you're like a chameleon, and you just kind of form, and you never seem to deal in truth. And then he looked at me, and he said, God won't heal who you pretend to be. He said, God wants to heal who you really are. 
He doesn't want to heal the fake version of you. He wants to heal the real version of you. And I remember that word hit me like a ton of bricks. And I like to tell you from that moment on, my life was different, but it began to get me to think a little bit about being honest with myself. Because I think before we can be honest with anybody else and even honest with God, we have to first be honest with our, ourselves. So I began to go on this journey of just embracing who I really was, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of me. And I began to come before God just as I am. Anybody remember that hymn? One of my favorite hymns, just as I am. They don't have to be something I'm not to come before God, just as I am. In fact, I was just reminiscing on some of the, the, the words to that hymn. It says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Referencing Romans chapter five, that even when we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, and we shouldn't have gotten it and received it, he died for us anyways, which is why we say nobody loves us the way God does. Nobody believes in us the way God believes in us because he sees past our problems and he knows our potential. And just, just as I am, it goes on to say, just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting in fears within, without. I'm like, I got fears I got shame, I got insecurity, I got doubt, oh, there's a lot of conflict happening in me. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Oh, Lamb of God, I come just as I am. I just wonder who might be here today or watching online, and this is a word for you, that God would say, stop pretending, stop putting on a front, stop trying to be something that you're not or getting to a place that you're never gonna get. Just as you are, come. To, be, to learn to be truthful with yourself. The second way that we can walk in, in truth, if you're taking notes, and that is to be truthful with others. I'm gonna step on a little bit of your toes today. I don't wanna get the whole toe, but I wanna get your pinky toe, maybe your big toe too. Because I think two of the main ways we, everybody say we. Two of the main ways we testify falsely against our neighbor is through gossip and criticism. And it usually starts off with, did you hear what so-and-so said? Even in the church, we get really good. He goes, oh, we need to pray for so-and-so. It's not, usually that's not good. We need to pray for so-and-so. Did you hear what happened? Did you hear what they did? And then you never pray. You just, you just gossip and criticize. I've never done that. I'm just saying I've heard y'all do that, so. <laughs> it usually starts out, or, or I, I probably shouldn't say this. If anybody says that to him, just say, don't, don't. Because once you get going, I'm gonna have a harder time stopping you. Don't say it. But I thought it was interesting, in, in Proverbs chapter 16, not in your notes, but uh, Solomon makes this statement. He says, gossip separates close friends. And that word gossip there in, in, in the Bible literally means to murmur and complain about someone behind their back. Have we ever complained or criticized someone behind their backs? Go ahead and raise your hand if you've done that. I'm just joking. Good. I appreciate it. Appreciate you playing on first service. It wasn't even like, no, I ain't saying it. No, <laughs> not me. Y'all are transparent. You guys are honest with yourselves. Come on, you're already doing it. The truth is we all have, haven't we? We all have. And a lot of times I think we don't realize the damage gossip and criticism can do. And there's a great story to kind of help us uh, understand this reality. In, in a small town, a man went around gossiping about the town pastor. How dare you? 
saying things that were not true. And one day the man realized what he had done, how hurtful his words had been. And so he decided to go to the pastor and ask for forgiveness. And so he did. And the pastor said, well, before I forgive you, go and take a, a feather pillow from your house, cut it open and scatter the feathers into the wind. Then come back and see me. The man did as he was told and he came back to the pastor and asked if he was forgiven now. Almost, the pastor said, now go and gather all of those feathers. The man said, well, that's impossible. The wind has already scattered them everywhere. Exactly, the pastor said, and I forgive you for what you've done, but just know that it's impossible to repair the damage done by your words, just as it's impossible to recover all of those feathers. The damage that gossip and criticism can be in our relationships is critical, right? We need to walk in truth, deal in truth, be truthful with ourselves and be truthful with others. And then the third thing that we can do to, to be people of truth is, is be truthful with God. To be truthful with God. Can we just imagine for a moment today how God feels when we're dishonest with him? I mean, think about that. Like Hypothetically, let's say that we messed up last week. I know we didn't, but a lot of people in first service did. And so we need to address that and talk about that and gossip about them behind their backs. I'm just teasing. But let's just say we messed up last week and, and we did something that grieved the heart of God. And then since then, maybe we've prayed a few times since then. We, we've come to church today and we've, we've worshiped and we've sang, we've lifted up hands, but we've never even mentioned what we did last week. We've never even brought it up. I always wonder about, do we think like God doesn't know? You know, like that little kid that has something behind their back and you're like, what's behind your back? And like, nothing. Or you ever have a little kid who's chewing on something? What's in your mouth? Nothing. Right? Like, I see it. I'm smarter than you. I'm your parent. I know what you did. How many know God knows what we did? So how do we think God feels? Well, the good news is that God already paid for it. And he's not, he not only knows about it, but he, he knew he'd do it too. And he already paid for it in full ahead of time. The issue and the problem is, is that we aren't transparent and truthful with God. I think another thing outside of that, too, that we do is we become prideful to the point that, that we think we can handle it on our own. Anybody ever done that besides me? I got the issue. I got this problem. I got this struggle. I did something that grieved the heart of God. But instead of bringing it before God or asking God to enter into my situation, I can handle it. I can deal with it. I can do it on my own. And we become prideful. But how many of us know if we're going to get free, if we're going to experience healing, we have to invite God into every situation and season of our lives. We desperately need that. But that tension of being truthful with God and handling it on our own is a tension every single one of us will have in our lives. In fact, King David experienced this too, and he wrote a beautiful prayer in Psalms 32 that I want us to take a look at today. He said, blessed. Everybody say blessed. That word blessed literally means to be happier. He says, happier is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, are forgiven, are covered. Happier is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Have you ever hurt like that? Like on the inside? It's one thing to have like a bruise on the outside or a cut, but it's another thing to have like your bones hurt. Your bones ache. And, you know, last year I was, my, my oldest son was in a home run derby competition. 
and we were getting ready for it. Him and another boy, I was, I was throw, pitching to him, and so I got real close to the home plate, and uh, so I could just lob up some meatballs so they could hit some home runs and win the competition. Well, uh, the other coach uh, brought a screen, but he didn't have an L screen, which is, you know, it covers your head, and then it kind of goes down, so you can kind of throw over the L screen, but keep your face protected, right? He didn't have an L screen. He just had like a, a, a rectangle screen. I've never even seen one of these before, so I had like I had to like step outside and throw and, and kind of cover myself, right? So I'd be really quick, really fast, like a ninja, like I am. And, but what I, I got in the habit of doing after like 30 pitches, and I was like 12, 15 feet away from the plate, what I, I got in the habit of doing is doing this and doing that, right? And I was leaving one part of my body exposed, which was my knee, and all of a sudden this, this other kid, not my son, because he's not brave enough to do it, but this other kid, who is a lefty, ripped this line drive, and it came and it rocked me right below the knee to the point that it actually went back to the home plate. Like, so I just took the full brunt of this baseball, and I hobbled around for 25 minutes. I wept like a little baby, and uh, that thing hurt, man, and uh, finished up pitching, whatever. And that was a year ago. Well, last week, I was wrestling. I put my oldest son in, in a chokehold, as a good dad would do. Happy Father's Day. And as I'm just kind of wrenching, you know, on his neck a little bit, I got down on my knees, and I put a little weight on that knee. It still hurts. A year later, I still have a bruise on my knee from that stupid baseball. And I couldn't help but think about what David's talking about in this passage. I'm, the inside of me hurts, and it feels like it won't go away. It just lingers on and a year later, and I still hurt. A year later, and I still have a, a bruise. My bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, everybody say then. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Come on, that's a beautiful part of this passage of scripture. You didn't just forgive my sin, you forgave the guilt and the shame and the regret. Oh, you took away that, the shame on the inside of who I am. I know only God can do that. So David said, until I confessed and was truthful with God, I felt horrible. He had no strength, no joy, no peace until he got truthful with God. The point that David is making in this psalm is, why did I wait so long? Why did it take me that long to get right and truthful with God? Well, let me, let me just remind us why it took him so long, because in verse 2, it makes the statement, in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, violating the commandments Violating these principles affects our body, soul, and spirit. Like in order to have an idol in our lives, in order to take the Lord's name in vain, in order to commit adultery, in order to seal, in order to break one of these commandments, we have to allow deceit to come into our hearts. We have to deceive ourselves and say, that's better than God's way. I want this. This is actually truth. This will make me happy. Not doing things God's way. And we deceive ourselves. There's deceit in our hearts, and the only way to deal with it is by getting it out in the open, to deal in truth and be vulnerable with God and each other. I'll never forget the first time that uh, I stole something from the store. I think I was like five years old. It started really early for me, and uh, I went to a grocery store with my mom, and we're checking out, and you know, they put all the candy. It's like they're baiting you. 
to take it. I'm just saying. And, and they have all the candy next to the checkout. And, and I remember there was this roll of Mentos, these these fruit chews that I loved as a little kid, especially the pink ones, because they taste just like cotton candy. They were amazing. And so I just grabbed them and just, just slipped them in my pocket, you know, no, no harm, no foul, whatever. And, um, and went home, and I remember going downstairs and watching Sesame Street. Shout out Snuffleupagus, right? <laughs> Big Bird, Cookie Monster, right? All the crew, let's just say that. And I was just eating my, my, my Mentos, and my mom walks downstairs and says, hey, where'd you get those? And I went, what? <laughs> Got to get one more in. You know what I'm saying? You just never know how long. And she said, did you take those from the store? And I just, I just kept chewing, you know, like, if you don't know what to say, fellas, you can use this one. If your wife is questioning you, just go and just stare at them. Don't say anything, right? And she goes, come on, we're going back to the store. And so she took me back to the, the grocery store and, and made me apologize to the manager and to the, the checkout person. And then she had to pay for the Mentos. And then she didn't even give them to me. I didn't even get them. So um, no good. I got the short end of the stick there. But after that was all over, my mom did a great job and, and, and all that. But in my carnal self, I had this thought, I, sh- I got to get better at telling a lie. I shouldn't have been truthful. I'm just being real. Come on, don't leave me hanging, right? Like, you've thought these dumb thoughts too. Like, instead of going, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have stolen that, I thought, I shouldn't have told the truth. I got to get better at lying. And honestly, I did. I actually got better at not telling the truth. I got better at being deceptive. And I just wonder if anyone can relate to me today. That maybe, maybe you've gotten good at... At, at not telling the truth. Maybe you've gotten good at turning stories just a little bit to where they favor you a little more and you've learned how not to be truthful. In this ninth commandment, God is saying, if you wanna live a happy, fulfilled life, we have to learn how to live and deal in truth, to be truthful with yourself, truthful with each other and truthful with God. And I'll just say this, this is one of the most freeing principles we'll ever allow into our lives. And it starts with being an honest and truthful person. And people ask me, how do you be a pastor? And is that hard? And people look at your life and all that. You know, the easiest thing about being a pastor is just be the same person you are on stage as the same person you are at home, right? Just walk in integrity and walk in truth and you have nothing to hide. That's the ninth commandment. Y'all ready for the 10th commandment? Let's switch gears a little bit. Now, the final commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And it says this, you must not covet your neighbor's house. Even if it's bigger than yours, you must not covet your neighbor's wife, even if she's male or female servant, (laughs) ox or donkey, right? Hey, and just so you know, as you read ox or donkey, that's actually, you know, speaking to wealth and, and, and don't covet what maybe someone else has because uh, the bigger the land that you have, the more ox that you need. Donkeys are actually go with transportation. Uh, only the elite of the elite rode horses back in biblical times. Most transportation was on a donkey. Even Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a colt, right? And so don't, don't covet someone's Lexus or Mercedes. Don't, don't covet their possessions. But if you're not sure what you shouldn't covet, right, let me just... Spell it out for you, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And so the principle behind this 10th commandment, if you're taking notes, is the principle of contentment. Now, the only reason we would covet what someone else has is because we're not content with what we have. 
And there's a great scripture, uh, passage of scripture in the New Testament that shows us how contentment is the answer, or we could say the remedy to covetousness. We'll start, it's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. I wanna take a look at the, the back part of that verse, and then we'll take a look at the entire verse. So Hebrews 13, five B says, for he himself, for God himself, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Anybody ever heard that before? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So here the writer of Hebrews is quoting the book of Joshua when God tells Joshua that Moses, his servant, is dead, but just as God was with Moses, he said, I'll be with you, Joshua. So be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous and lead God's people into the promised land. He says, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. But what's the first part of that verse say? Well, let's take a look at it. I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five says this, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And just so we're on the same, same page, to be content means to be satisfied. I'm satisfied. I don't want anymore. You ever ate too much like at Thanksgiving to the point where like you just didn't want anymore? Like you ate so much when they came by and they said, well, you guys want any pie? You, oh, you got any room for pie? Yeah, I got a little room. And then after you ate the pie and had so much, even if they would have put like a filet mignon steak in front of you, be like, no way, it doesn't even look good to me. Why? Because I'm satisfied. I'm content. That, that, that is what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. To not covet is to learn how to be content in God, knowing that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will always provide. He will always protect. He will always take care of us. He is always the answer to the solution that we have, to the problem that we have. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't have to go anywhere else but him to find what I'm looking for. So what's coveting? It's a great question you asked, Pastor. Let me, let me answer that. To covet means to strongly desire what belongs to someone else. God says do not covet. Do not long for things. Do not desire things. Do not try and take things that don't belong to you. Now it's important, I wanna point out that God's not saying that we can't have desires. God is saying that we shall not desire what somebody else already has. That's what coveting is. Don't desire what your neighbor has. And this has been happening from the beginning of time. In fact, all the way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see this happen with Adam, Eve, and Satan in the Garden of Eden. And I wanna show it to you uh, today where, where they ate from the tr tree of knowledge of good and evil that they weren't supposed to eat from. Genesis chapter three, verse six says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Notice the picture that the enemy painted. He didn't paint the picture that this is the tree that God said don't eat from. This is a tree that will kill you. He didn't say any of those things. He said it's good for food, it's pleasant to the eyes, and it's gonna make you wise. Satan took something that didn't belong to them and made it look good. Can I just remind us that he doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeve today? That he's still doing the same thing? The enemy of our soul will try to do everything he can to get what our neighbor has to look better than what we have. 
But here's the, here's the damaging effect about coveting. And if you get nothing else from this commandment, because you already got so much from the ninth commandment, if you get nothing else from coveting, the damage coveting does is, is it causes us to resent God. Because you did that for them, God, but you didn't do that for me. You gave them this, but you didn't give me that. And look how much better they have, and look how God is holding out from me. And all of a sudden, it causes us to resent God, like somehow he's holding out on us. Does this sound familiar to all? Maybe Genesis chapter three with Satan in the Garden of Eden. He's holding out on you. He's not gonna give you what you want. And we start to resent God, so we stop trusting God, and we start relying upon ourselves. Covetousness is more serious than we think. Jesus even said this uh, about coveting in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, and, and Jesus said to them, take heed and be aware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Like one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And there's other places throughout scripture where covetousness is mentioned in the Bible with other sins. And we don't have time to study them out today, but I do wanna take a look at one place in Colossians because what's interesting is how serious the other sins are on those lists. And I would make the argument that covetousness is just as serious because it causes resentment in our hearts towards God. Take a look, Colossians chapter three, verse five. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That is in you. You have this desire to covet. You, it, you are drawn to, to covet what somebody else has. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, maybe we've never looked at, at coveting this way, like, but why is it idolatry? Because we're putting someone or something above God. Like that thing or that person has actually become an idol in our lives. And when we covet, we would actually exchange God for that thing. It goes like this. If, if I could just have that spouse, if I could just have them as a spouse, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be fulfilled. If I could just have that job, if I could just make that amount of money, if I could just get this, if I could just get this thing, then I would be happy and fulfilled. And we actually exchange God for that thing, and it becomes an idol in our lives. But can I remind us today that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the longing of our hearts? Take it from someone who tried everything else, relationships, drugs, all those things, the good time, the party scene, friends, success, try all those. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the longing of our hearts. He's the only one that can bring purpose and meaning into our lives. And Jesus made the statement, what good is it for a man to gain the entire world but forfeit his soul? What good is it to get all this stuff but be dying on the inside, to be empty on the inside? Remember, God's not saying that we can't have desires. He's saying it's wrong to strongly desire what belongs to someone else because it becomes an idol. I would say this about coveting. Coveting oftentimes is insecurity driving our desires. Let me say that again for the people in the way, way back. <laughs> Coveting oftentimes is our insecurity driving our desires. I wish I had what they had. Here's the phrase we use. I'm gonna get you. Must be nice. Whoo. If I had a dollar for every time my wife said that. Come on, somebody. 
I'm teasing. If I had a dollar for every time I said that, must be nice. Must be nice to have what they have. Must be nice to drive that car. Must must be nice to have that job. Must be nice to go on that vacation. Must be nice. Can I just say that if we don't have it, we don't need it. Or if we don't have it, we're not ready for it. Some of you single people need to hear that. I wish I had a spouse. That's the last thing you need. You ain't ready. Well, let, me, let, let, me, let me say it like this. Maybe the very thing we're wanting, God knows if we got it, we wouldn't be able to handle it. Maybe God's grace in your life is to keep you single right now. It doesn't feel that way. Trust me, I waited a long time to meet my wife. I felt like I was in a desert for 100,000 years. I live in South Dakota where there's more cows than people. I was like, oh, you got to do a miracle here. I don't even know how you're going to pull this one. I know you're part of the Red Sea, but this is even more difficult. Maybe we don't have it because we're not ready for it yet. Maybe I need to work on becoming the one before finding the one. All right, I'm done preaching to the single people in the house. I think a lot of us, including myself, uh, covet because we compare. Like we feel pretty good about ourselves until we compare ourselves to somebody else. Our spouse, our kids, our family, our job, our vacation. We were content with what we had till we saw what somebody else had. For example, man, we go on summer vacation. We go to Florida. We have a blast hanging out at the beach. Best vacation ever. Until we get back to defiance and we see that one family who took a family vacation to Hawaii. And we're like, must be stinking nice to go to Hawaii. Florida's stupid. I hate the beach. Right? Everything went best vacation ever until I saw where someone else went. And then I started comparing myself to what they had. And all of a sudden, I started to covet what they had instead of being grateful for what I had. How many of us know comparison either leaves us arrogant or insecure? When we compare, there's always a winner and there's always a loser. And, and, you, and most of the time, you'll be both. As we continue to compare, sometimes you'll win, but eventually you'll lose. Comparison is never helpful or beneficial. Take a look at what Paul said, one of my favorite verses when it comes to comparing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He said, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who commend themselves because when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Well, what's the opposite of someone who's wise? Someone who's a fool. And I don't know about you, I don't wanna live as a fool. Comparison kills and unfortunately, I think social, mil- social media is a driving force in us comparing ourselves with one another. Right, we look at somebody else's highlight reel And then we look around at our current reality and we're like, must be nice. Having no idea what's really happening in their world. And so how do we embrace this principle of contentment? Uh, I think David gives us some great insight in this passage of scripture. Psalms 37, verse four. I wanna close with this, this verse. Remember, contentment is being satisfied. This, This place where it is well with my soul. I'm grateful for what I have. David said, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord, other versions say, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, how do we we get our desires right? David tells us to delight in the Lord. 
And David had a great resume because he didn't always take delight in the Lord. And what David is saying, if you read this entire chapter, Psalms 37, what David is, is, is saying is that there's gonna be some times where it looks like the ungodly are, are prospering more than you are. That there's gonna be times that it looks like we, we got the short end of the stick, like, like others are better off than we are. But if we'll come to this place where we've learned to be content with what God has given us, satisfied, grateful for what God's given us, we won't make the mistake of comparing ourselves with everybody else. And a lot of people read this verse and they make the mistake of thinking that if we serve God, he'll give us what we want. Like if I just do what God wants me to do, then I'll get everything that I want. But that's not what this verse means. That's not what David is saying. What this verse is saying is that, that if we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, God will actually put the right desires in our hearts. Did you catch that? If we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, God will give us the right desires in our hearts. In other words, let me paint it like this. We'll stop chasing mirages. We'll stop going after things, thinking, man, this thing's gonna give me what I want. This thing's gonna satisfy, this, this is it. Only to get up to this thing once again and realize it wasn't what I thought it was and it didn't give me what I thought it was gonna give me. So on to the next mirage. Onto this thing that's gonna satisfy me. Onto this thing that's gonna fulfill me. Only to get up to it and realize it wasn't what I thought it was. Remember those cartoons back in the day where like Daffy Duck's in the desert and he sees a pool and a resort and he goes up and he jumps on the diving board and he comes down in the pool and it sand, right? You've seen those? How many of us have been chasing mirages thinking we're at a resort in the desert only to get up to it and realize it's just more sand? God is saying, no, 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 if, if you'll delight yourself in me, I'll give you the right desires. If you'll do things my way, I'll, I'll show you the path of fulfillment and meaning and true satisfaction. If you'll stop coveting that person's spouse and you start lining your heart with me, I'll give you a heart for your spouse. I'll give you a marriage you never thought possible. I'll give you a love for your spouse that you never even imagined could happen. You'll fall so in love and head over heels for your spouse and have a marriage you never thought of if you'll just align yourself up with me and stop longing for something that's not gonna give you what you're looking for. This is the 10 Commandments. Hopefully, like me, you've been challenged. Even today, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. What's our words? Are they helpful? Are they benefiting those around us? Are they building others up? Or are they tearing others down? What about our hearts? Are we falling in the trap of comparing ourselves one to another? It's robbing us of the joy and, and the benefits that God already has given to us. That we'd have a grateful heart. Amen. Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. These 10 commandments, these principles that you have given to us to have a deeper relationship with you and a deeper relationship with one another. God, I pray you give us the wisdom and the revelation to see beyond the surface, to see the heart and the meaning and the truth in these commandments that we'll be happier. You didn't give us these commandments to follow, to make you happy, even though they do when we, when we do follow them. You gave us these 10 commandments to follow so that we could be happy. As we're praying together today, can we just, can we all just make this our prayer? Right where you're at, could you just pray this? Say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond to the message today? Maybe it's in my words. 
Maybe I've been criticizing, being critical and gossiping about people behind their backs and it's not helping anything. Or maybe I've been comparing myself to, to others and I've wanted what they had that I've lost sight of what I already have. And I need to get back to a heart of gratitude. Holy, Holy Spirit, how do you want us to respond to the message today? Because we wanna be not just hearers of your word, God, we wanna be doers. As we're praying together today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would just say, man, there's, there's, God spoke something to me. Maybe it's in your words, maybe it's in comparison, maybe it's in your heart, whatever it is, God, God spoke something to you and there's something, you, a change you know you need to make. If that's you, would you just lift your hand to heaven, whatever it is. God said, I want you to address your words. You've been, you've been gossiping, you've been complaining. You've been speaking death. It's time to start speaking life. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Maybe you've been comparing yourself with others, wanting what others have and losing sight of what you already have in your life. Father, you see the hands in this place. You know our situations, you know our hearts. God, we thank you that you're a God that doesn't, doesn't just call us out, you call us up to higher heights and greater depths than you. So God, we ask for the courage to follow you, to delight ourselves in you, that we be strong and courageous and follow you wherever you're calling us to go because your way is better. I pray a blessing over every hand raised, over every situation, God, that you would go before us, that you would direct our steps as we simply follow you we would experience the abundant life that you have for us in Jesus' name. As we continue praying together today, maybe you're here or you're watching online and you would say, I don't have a relationship with God. I've never surrendered my heart. I've never surrendered my life to him. But you feel God tugging on your heart today. You feel God speaking to you, reminding you that his way is better. That he's got a plan and purpose for your life and it starts with a relationship with him. If you need to make that decision, say, here's my life. Here's my heart, which you've always wanted. I want to know you. If that's you today, wherever you're at, would you lift your hand to heaven? And would you pray this prayer with me? Say, God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. God, here's my life. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God some, give God some praise for all he did today.